like I don't think I had a best friend after you. I just, I don't know. I couldn't put myself out there like that. Uh, we somehow met on my birthday. Actually, we've never actually talked about how we actually. You were like a birthday gift to me, but like you know, I realized that too late. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I'm so glad you're saying that because when I was like getting ready to come back for my first visit, I was like, did she ever really love me as much as I loved her? (laughs) I was like, is she actually going to be excited to see me? Or like, I don't know how to react. Like, should I just be like calm and cool? But then look at us now. everyone this is intersectionally speaking and i am your pretend new host Bruno christine i currently live in denver colorado and i have lived in the united states actually i had this realization last night and it was really spooky i have mm-hmm. now lived in america as long as i have lived elsewhere so it's like a halfway point in my life and it's kind of like whoa dude I have lived in America for 13 years, you know? Yeah. And uh, before I lived in America, yeah. Before I lived in America, I lived in South Africa, which is where I met you. And before that, I am I was born in Zimbabwe. So I lived in Zimbabwe for some time as well. So I have, speaking of intersectionality, I feel like my identities are <laughs> in crisis at times, but that's totally fine, making the best of it. So as you've probably figured out, today I'm in conversation with my childhood best friend, Rudo Christine. Welcome, friend. So you were an international kid from a very young age. How did that come about? Um, before I lived in South Africa, I actually went to the UK for like three months. I was like four and mm. my mom and I just moved out there. And it was, that was like such a trip, you know, because I was so young. I barely even knew where I was in the world at all, you know? Yeah. Um, and then to all of a sudden be somewhere else in the world was just like, what? What is happening? And things were so different, right? Like I'd gone from Zimbabwe where everyone was and is black, you know, like the majority to like a white world like whoa there's white people everywhere and like they were looking at me like I was like the one that was odd you know um so like moving to South Africa was actually much easier because I'd already moved once you know that I'd already like understood that there's um different places in the world and like it doesn't necessarily always look like what it looks like around you Mm. um So while that transition was hard, moving is always hard for all of us in one way or the other. I think the realization of like culture shock was not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. Um, But then I always knew when I was living in South Africa, I always knew that I was going to move from South Africa to move to America because my parents had already moved here. Yeah. Um, Which is also a weird way to see myself in that space. Um, Because it felt very transitionary. I was like, well, I'm only in South Africa for so long. I'm only here 
for so long. So yeah. um, apply that to like how I perceive the language. So like I never really wanted to learn Afrikaans or Sutu really because I was like, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not trying to be here. I'm not here for a long time. I'm just here for a good time. <laughs> I mean, basically, dude, I bombed Afrikaans test. It was like, I basically was just like taking a test blind. I was like, I don't know what this says. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you're making me do this. But um, anyway, Wait, I don't so know. How I don't think I even when you moved to South Africa? Um, I was nine, and then I lived there for four years, so until I was 13. Yeah. And, yeah. There's also, um, funny story, segue, totally not related to the question you asked me, but relevant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yesterday, I've been watching this show called Pen15 on Hulu. Okay. You know, because it looks like penis. Anyway. Anyway, anyway, it's a it's a show about middle school, and um, it's just been such a cute story of these like two girls doing middle school things, like discovering their bodies and like friendships, and, like just the way friendships are at that age, you know. Mm. And I was like, oh my god, I never really had that um, because I moved so much. I never really had like. Um, like, you're, like, the only friend from my childhood that is still tangible. But I'm, like, I had this friend. All my other friends from childhood, I have, like, no access to them. I don't know where they are. I don't, like, and it's just watching that show, like, I just feel some kind of envy of never really had been in one place for a solid amount of time mm. to develop those friendships, you know? Like, you and I became best friends, and as soon as we were friends, I was out of that, you know, like I, I had to move. And it's like, I never really got the chance to like hold on to friendship. And that's one of the things that I, I wish I could do over about being an quote unquote international child. Like I just wish I could have developed more of those things. There's something about watching depiction of childhoods that's like silly and fun. That's mm. just like, people had that? Like what? Like people having fun as kids? I was not. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And for completely different reasons, I sort of relate. And I think what did make us become friends in the way that we were is because you did have the sort of, you sort of felt like an outsider in that space. And I mean, I said this in the, the other podcast, the first podcast of the series, actually, I also felt for a very long time, like an outsider within that space. Which All these things you're saying about like seeing yourself as an outsider. And it's like, it's great that that brought us together, you know, and it was like, okay, like we can develop this friendship, but I just wish it happened sooner for us. Like I wish we'd had that, like, Yo, you're my person, right? That. Yeah, like if it was written on our foreheads, outsider, outsider, match. <laughs> or something. So eventually we got over that, we became friends, and then you left. Let's talk about that. So how was that? But also why was that? You know, like we were 13, so I don't really think I understood what was happening. You were just like, listen, top secret CIA, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> 
my god yeah basically um that is what happened um i actually didn't know so again my parents were in america my parents moved to america when i was six so mm. um, that's another like factor is like not only was i international but i was international and away from my parents for a long mm. time so it was always like every year that went by was like oh that's another year i haven't seen my parents that's mm. another year i haven't seen my parents uh, and at this point i think it was now yeah six years since i had seen my parents so the goal was always to get me to my parents right yeah but obviously getting visas are you know it's not just anything anyone can just do mm-hmm. especially to america yeah uh and Having had 9-11 happen recently, because I knew, yeah. Oh, I think I lost you. Did you? I hear you're back. Oh, I'm sorry. You said um, 9-11 and then you went. I, I think this is the government just hacking into our call. <laughs> no, literally, you said 9-11 and then it went quiet. <laughs> They're like, is that oh my God. Are those spies? What's happening? <laughs> That's hilarious. But anyway, I was just saying that like 9-11 changed American immigration a lot. Yeah. So my parents couldn't just like come get me anymore. Uh, immigration laws had changed for them. And we were just trying to find a way around the system to get me to America. And it happened literally overnight. Mm. Um, I was told, Hey, we're taking you to, I don't know if we went to Pretoria or Johannesburg. They're like, Hey, we're going to drive here and we're going to apply for visas and you're not going to school. And I'm like, what? Mm. Okay. And literally just like that, I was in a car. We drove to this place. I was in an embassy and they asked me, Hey, uh, do you know this person? I was like, yeah. And next thing I knew, I was literally on a plane to America, like in oh a 48 God. hour window. <laughs> like, oh I my God. Like, I didn't get to say bye to my friends. Not like, and I just didn't even understand what was happening. Yeah. And there was like a lot of questions about if I was actually going to stay in America yeah. once I got there. It was a very frightening process, honestly. It was, um, it was very terrifying and I didn't understand like moving is a hard like we've already said moving is a hard thing but when you add um yeah when you add immigration laws when you add like um, insecurities about immigration laws like moving here as an illegal immigrant essentially is so terrifying you know Mm. it's so so terrifying and I just didn't know how things were going to pan out or what even the extent of being an immigrant in America meant yeah Um, which we can unpack that more in this interview but oh my god (laughs) I went kind of so CIA I'm so sorry for even bringing I mean for taking you back to that moment you know I wasn't it wasn't even about me and yeah I just remember also just not knowing what was happening because obviously everybody asked me um what's happening i was like guys i don't know why do you think i know and they're like why what are you not telling us i'm just like there is no scoop keep it moving i don't know anything 
um because i literally didn't <laughs> um yeah yeah okay. so you arrive in america where in america what's so what's happening when you get that side um i just want to say like hearing your side of it like because i always wondered i like the people just were they just like oh my god what just happened to this girl <laughs> stop coming to school yeah but anyway um i um we actually landed in florida um we went to disney world like first thing off of the plane oh we were in florida and it was great you know we like got to go see i don't know i think it's called the seven kingdoms it was very I'll tell you this interaction that we had. So I was with my cousin Tatiya and we um, went to like a food stand. Yeah. And she wanted French fries, right? Like Americans call them French fries, but in yeah. South Africa you call them chips. <laughs> and she said to the lady, she's like, hey, like I want some chips. And here in America, chips is like a bag, like a potato chip, you know, like yeah. Lays. Yeah. And the lady like gets her some Lay's and so people like, no, I want chips. And like, the lady's like, well, here they are. And she's like, no. So people like, no, I want cooked chips. <laughs> and once really, someone had to like intervene and be like, French fries. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And it was just like, oh my God, we are so in America right now. <laughs> you know, like, you only saw people calling them French fries on like tv right yeah but it was like within like the short amount of time it was like oh my god i'm in america what is happening to my oh life my right god. now it's very yeah. interesting and then um anyway where i actually permanent permanently relocated to was um fort worth texas and mm. yeah i went to school there i did my um middle school and high school in Texas and I also got my undergrad in Texas but I no longer live there not that anyway so all we know about Texas as non-Americans I'm not going to generalize the whole world what I know about Texas and what a lot of us in South Africa know about Texas is like it's a southern state which means slavery Mm -hmm. which translated into racism which translated into republicans and like the tum people that's all we know right so how was landing there as a black person and i mean so much is happening it's first reconnecting with your parents after a very long time but also just like mm-hmm. being a black body in this i i'm yeah like in that back day your boil down of texas is pretty spot on it's <laughs> yeah, beautiful well um, done hollywood <laughs> I mean, I was like, wow, you you should write a paper about this. You're very oh, yeah. knowledgeable. <laughs> but um, yeah, Texas is a southern state for sure. Mm. Um, but I will say Texas is a very friendly place on the surface. Like, people are so, so nice on the surface. I actually was just in Texas like two weeks ago. Mm. And um, I was like walking, I go on morning walks and like people would just be waving at me. Like people in their cars would see me and like wave at me and like it's not people. Like that's how nice Texas is. Like people wave at you, hello to you. Like it feels like a surface level friendly place, but it's really not. Mm. (laughs) Like I feel like um, in South Africa, 
right? Like you knew people were following you because you were black. Like there was no question about it. Okay. This is, you knew friends were racist. Like their parents were racist. Like you knew, right? You're like, I don't, that's not a mystery to me. Mm -hmm. But all of a sudden that wasn't so visible. You didn't know who was a racist and who wasn't because everyone is so nice. Like, we're like, wait, so what's the racism about? Like, everyone is so nice and so kind. And also coming in at the age of 13, it's, like, hard to, like, conceptualize, um, like, racism, right? And, like, Mm. seeing yourself as a part of that, right? Um, But I also came, and this was the first time Barack Obama was, like, getting elected as president. I got to watch that presidential election happen and like from the very beginning when he was just a candidate and like nobody even knew that it was going to end that way right and he was like one of I don't know 10 or whatever and like as he got better and better and better and like then he was the nominee and he was like running for president Mm. started to notice how people talked about him right Mm. and I was like oh all these nice white people who actually are racist. <laughs> I remember one time in church, this was such a like eye-opening experience. We had a summer intern who was like teaching us for the summer. And okay. I don't even know why he did this exercise, but he was like, we're gonna raise our hands for who we're voting for. So mind you, I'm the only black person in this youth group. <laughs> and he says Barack Obama first and I raise up my hand I'm like yeah like if I could vote I would vote for Barack Obama I was the only hand in the entire room Tins. and I'm Tins. the only black person and I'm like oh shit <laughs> and he's like John McCain and everyone else's hands like shoots up and I'm like oh what is I, happening? I didn't realize it was like that, you know? And that mm-hmm. was one of the very first times I was just like, all these people are so nice to me and they're so kind to me on the surface, you know? But like you said, they are Texans. They are Southern. They are Republican. They are conservatives and like do not have your best interest at heart as a person of color, you know? Yeah. And, I don't mm-hmm. think I have um, FOMO of the kids growing up now with social media and stuff because I just, I, I appreciate the fact that we actually got to have a pure childhood. But one of the things of having this pure childhood, quote unquote, is that like we didn't, social media wasn't what it was today. So it's not like I could hit you up on Instagram or like Twitter or whatever yeah. in the way that we can connect today. It literally, Facebook had just started well, it had just gotten to us, I think. So like social media for me back then meant like mix it. And I wasn't even allowed to have mix it. So like being in touch with like an international person meant, I don't know, like email, you know? So it wasn't like as personal as it could be today, which I guess if we had been, I guess people, I guess kids today going through what we went through back then in terms of being separated, it's not that deep because of social media and all of that, but we didn't necessarily have that. So I guess even you being there 
you've just sort of lost the entire world, not just like our particular friendship, but like I, being in contact with international people back then was like a completely different story, you know? Okay, cool. You're at church, this person's being weird. And now you've discovered that everyone's actually high key racist. How does that translate into your lived experience as you guys call it like middle school and elementary school? And so what school are you in at that time? That. Um, so when I moved here, I was, um, I was in middle school and it was the last year of middle school, which was eighth grade. Um, and it's a very transitionary time because people are preparing to go to high school. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know like how that was going to all work out for me. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, the school experience here was so easy and nice for me, to be honest. Okay. I went, from, um, you know, we went to St. Dominic's together and like I brought up earlier language, you know, Afrikaans yeah. was like a real barrier for me because I was mm. being graded on it on my report card. Yeah. And there was no way for me to succeed in that because, you know, you put anyone who has zero reading level into a class at fifth grade and you're like, okay, read. It just is not going to work well, you know? Yeah. Um, so not having to worry about that. Like I was like a great student all of a sudden. I was like an A student and Oh all the God. teachers loved me and I was so like, amazing and smart. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, I'm like a rock star in the American school system. <laughs> and it was so much easier for me, even in high school. Like I never, uh, I never had any troubles with school. Mm. And like black students are usually put into schools. Okay. So before I even get into black students, money matters in America and everywhere, right? Okay. So the richer you are, the better chances you're going to go to a really well-funded public school. Okay. The way public schools are funded is based on property tax in Texas specifically. Okay. So if the houses are nicer, the taxes are higher, which means more money for your school systems. All right? right. So the poorer community you're in has less tax being collected so less money is going into your educational system right all go to public schools but the public school in the rich white neighborhood is like 10 times better than the public school in the black community and my parents lived in a nice suburb area so the Mm. schools i went to um were okay they were not like top end schools yeah. Um, so I got the resources I needed to be successful and I had like, I was eager to learn and people were eager to teach me, you know? So mm. I don't really feel like being black if, like affected me or held me back too much. And I also think I had the advantage of being African, you know, like, um, what is advantage of being African mean? I will explain. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> Um, the black story is different for African-Americans, right? Like Mm -hmm. I was coming from a different world. Like I'd already gone to private school in which um, being excellent and excelling in school was really emphasized. Yeah. My parents really emphasized that. 
like I'd had all these factors that um, were like, you have to succeed, you have to propel yourself. Like I didn't necessarily have the same story as some, some other folks. Like you take the context of African-American kids mm. who are coming from poor communities whose parents may not necessarily be advocates for them in the same way Mm. who haven't been told that they're smart who aren't being seen as like students you know they're always in trouble like I felt like I had lived in a black world at least at once in my life like I had lived in a world where there were lots of black people around me and like I oh my god so that's what I mean the advantage of being like African is like Mm. I didn't really think about race all that much when I was in high school you know because I was I was also doing really well people didn't treat me poorly I didn't have any of these histories that could be real barriers for my outcome like yeah you know what I mean like, oh my god, yeah, I hear you. That's such a positive yeah. spin. I'd never I'd never even think of that. I'm so happy you actually thought to share that. And I'm so happy you had that positive experience. In terms of um numbers, how many like black people like contextualize for me, even in your neighborhood, like how often are you um, seeing black people? So not that often. The high school that I went to was um actually white people were not the majority it was majority hispanic so we had a lot of um latinas latinos um Mm. and then black students i I still think like white students were like maybe like 48 percent or something and like that's quite high like yeah I might be getting those numbers wrong but needless to say there was diversity at my high school there was brown people um, they were Asian students. We had a Vietnamese population. So it was like not the most white school. But um, so in America, in public school settings, there's different tracks. So you can all be in eighth, eighth grade, but in different levels of eighth grade. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sounds complex. Let me explain. <laughs> yeah. So there's regular eighth grade which means you are taking a regular class literally the terminology is like on level yeah and then there's below that which means you're not performing on level you actually need help so let's say you're reading you're in sixth grade but your reading level is actually at a third grade you would be Mm. in special education right but then there's a tier above that in which you are advanced like you are performing better than the on-level student so in like your last year and once you get to high school you can actually opt to take a college level class right those classes were very white Mm. the white students were the ones that took up a lot of space in the classes that were supposed to have good outcomes where the smart students were. So in mm-hmm. a way, even though I was in a diverse high school, um, my classes were really white. And I never took an on-level class until 
my senior year I was about to graduate and it was such a weird experience for me mm. because all of a sudden my class was not white <laughs> it was yeah. like black it was everyone else like yeah there were like two, two white students and I was like whoa is this what high school has been like for everybody else but I think <laughs> those layers like communicate right like your place like oh I'm just an on-level student like I, I'm yeah. not smart. I just do what I'm supposed to. And like having those layers, it's so different. Just like everyone is in eighth grade. You're all in eighth yeah. grade. It doesn't matter how you perform, but having those mental layers of like, yeah, I'm, I'm smarter than you. I do the harder work. That reinforcement you know, was, should. Yeah, was such a, a, a weird world. But and, and for me personally, I was just grateful that I was performing well you know like I was like well I'm here with you <laughs> yeah I'm fucking sitting in this class with you and I'm performing just as well as you are and all right like I don't necessarily that I I, I don't think that I felt inferior to people in high school yeah um, because I was like one of the few black people performing so we had like a top 10 percent and every year like it was like an award ceremony like okay like you're in the top 10 percent of your class right and you just literally like count like the three black people that were in the top 10 percent of your class and like our classes were huge like 500 students in the class yeah (laughs) like there's the three of us that are like i see you i see you up there (laughs) i know this is super delayed and belated but i'm so proud of you Ah, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. No, like seriously, that's actually I love it. But then um in terms of the home life or the city life or whatever you want to call it, you know, South Africa is one of the most violent countries literally in the world. We're like the rape and murder capital, I think. But at the same time, you know, coming from Valcom, which is where, you know, you lived in South Africa before moving. Um, Valcom was fairly just also like a well placed, but it wasn't until I moved to like Joburg and Cape Town that I started experiencing this really like violent and wild side of South Africa that's sort of in line with the stats. So I think we did live in a fairly um, safe community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it, it wasn't uncommon to hear of like muggings or whatever. And we knew to be like a, a certain level of cautious and just like vigilant and whatever. How did that experience of just having to be constantly on the lookout and certain things you just couldn't do because it was like a violent country. Did that, how was that in America? um specifically and and in, in Texas where you were living did you sort of carry a lot of that or did the experience change um was it safer and how did being a foreigner impact that experience um those are all great questions um and I don't think I've spent a lot of time thinking about any of this um but I mean, things are pretty safe here. Like all the places I've lived in have been very, very safe. Um, 
But now that you ask me about how do I reflect on like having lived in a violent place and like moving elsewhere, um, that brings up a lot of feelings and curiosities. Because when I was in South Africa, like you're saying, I mean, Vulcan was pretty safe for the most part, you know? Mm. Like, we didn't really have to worry too much about anything. I think the, the worst experience of violence I ever experienced was like, you know, our house got robbed once. Yeah. And, like, and that was it. Like, that wasn't, you know, that's not uncommon. Having lived in Zimbabwe also, like, dude, our house got robbed all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was not, you would literally drink up. You're like, oh, okay, we got robbed again. Like It's crazy. You normalize that, right? You're just like, yeah, violence, it, it is what it is. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm going to call the cops. Nothing's going to happen. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But I don't, or even in America, honestly, I think, What's, what my mind is going through right now is like policing, you know? Mm. Um, and I think that a lot of people are feeling there's a lot going on with the police and Black lives specifically in America. Yeah. Uh, I have not had any encounters with the police. I mean, I've gotten speeding tickets. I have seen Jackson talk himself out of tickets all the fucking time. I'm yeah. like, dude, I need to get some of that whiteness on me because <laughs> just be like, oh, officer, yeah. Oh, I didn't know I was going that fast. And the officer's like, well, you should slow down. Every time I've gone pulled over, I've gotten the ticket. Yeah. Like one time, my grandma literally, I was like, my grandma died. And the guy still gave me the ticket. Yeah. But anyway, sure. that's like such, that's such a small scale of what is going on with violence here. Mm. I think the violence that black people are fearing right now is from the state, right? From yeah. police brutality and feeling largely oppressed in those ways. I don't know that I felt unsafe in South Africa that way. You know, mm. I think I was afraid of just regular people. Yeah. Um, but it's a very different feeling when you're afraid of your authority, when you're afraid of like, I don't want to get pulled over by a cop, you know, like, mm. if I do, I want a white person to be there to witness and to like testify. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, it is a very, I haven't experienced violence on a large scale. And um, are you I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of microaggressions. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That is like the majority of and the racial violence, I feel, you know, is like continuously being reminded that you are in fact a black person here, you know, like if you're smart and you act white or if you like nice things, you know, like the constant reminders or when you're in nice places being looked at, like you're a black person, yeah. having a white partner and the white people treat me because I have a white partner and like, if I need to go to the bank, I am like, hey, Jax, can you come with me? Because mm. I know my service will be better. I know oh they're going to take me more seriously because yeah. I'm with a white person. Right? Yeah. So it's all those small things, all the ways that you know I need to perform a certain way in the world because I am black. That is the real violence. Um, and I, I honestly don't know how we're going to get past that. Ugh. 
Sirima, I keep thinking about this election. I, I cannot tell you how stressed out I am about it. I'm stressed <laughs> out and I'm not even American. I'm stressed out. I, yeah. Oh my God. I, I hear you. I, I mean, I'm fucking stressed out. I'm not even American. Yeah, no, I completely feel you. I'm going to be there. We're going to be holding hands through it. But I just hope that it's like holding hands so. through the correct moment because wow I, I like i don't think any of us like have it in us to live through another trump presidency i'm not even in the country and i'm saying this you know um no so like i mean you'd be surprised though one of my neighbors has a trump pen sticker on her oh car so you'd be surprised so you finish high school and then i don't know how this works it's like what what college was t like what is that situation and like yeah how do you navigate that i couldn't actually go to college because i didn't have the right visa anymore oh my god so it was literally like i couldn't go to college like it wasn't because of my grades or anything it was that i legally could not be like hey accept me like if i did get accepted into colleges i was not eligible for any kind of funding from the government um which basically made it impossible for me to um to go to school so my parents didn't have money um so anyway to make a, a very long story short i got my paperwork my parents filed all their things and it worked out and my paperwork came through. Nice. Um, and that allowed me to apply into colleges and be considered for funding, but it was a very terrifying experience. I feel like I'm like minimizing how small of a, a thing this was. Um, you have to understand immigration is always a constant topic of discussion in American politics. Mm. And it, maybe um, I can equate it to you know how like in South Africa, as in Zimbabwean in South Africa, I always felt like South Africans didn't like Zimbabweans, right? We're the most xenophobic country ever. <laughs> We're terrible. We're shit. Like, wow. I mean, I don't know. America, it wasn't a feeling. <laughs> America's got some, a lot of xenophobia to compete with. <laughs> like, yeah. Literally had a Muslim ban, so I don't know. I wouldn't say you guys are the most xenophobic country, but being a Zimbabwean in South Africa, right, is like I felt this feeling of like people didn't want us there. People didn't want Zimbabweans there, right? Mm. And in fact, that carried on over to when I came to America. Mm. I thought Americans also hated Zimbabweans. So when people would ask me where I was from, for the longest time, I would tell them South Africa. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't say Zimbabwe. Because I was like, well, if I tell them I'm from Zimbabwe, they're going to, like, think I'm poor. They're going to think I'm not smart. So these yeah. are the stereotypes being built in South Africa, right? So, anyway, I still had that same, I'm an immigrant feeling when I was mm. here. Right? And there was a lot of talk against... Mexicans, just immigration law. There's no immigration reform. Um, and there was constant talk about uh, deporting illegal aliens. Oh so, God. like, there's always, like, this, like, feeling of nervousness of, like, will I ever get, like, paperwork in America? <laughs> and then that feeling was, like, intensified by the process of needing to go to college. So, 
somehow my paperwork comes together. I'm able to go to college. And I was just so grateful that like, I, I could even be there. I was like, oh my God, look at me. I'm here with all these other kids. I'm poor, but I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> and college was such a fun time in my life. Oh my God. I had so much fun. <laughs> Love to <laughs> But like hear in the best way possible. I like, for the first time in my life, you know, I was like, on my own and mm. I was living in a fun city. I was, um, so Austin, Texas is the capital of Texas. Okay. It's a very progressive city, you know, it's nice. very hippy dippy. There's the yoga people, the concert people. It's probably like, um, I, I can't locate a city in South Africa because I haven't lived there, but like maybe the Cape town, you know, like it's like a fun place to be. I was having a lot of fun. Now, Cape Town's probably accurate young. because Cape Town's also very white, but it's it's like fun, but it's also white and it's also like super racist, yeah. but it's also like you can make your own fun in your certain corners if you yeah. want to. Yeah. It's like it's probably totally. accurate. <laughs> yeah. And that's how it felt. Like I was like all of a sudden I was like in this cool hip place where they're like all these ideas of progressiveness. And I'm young and I'm in college and I'm being introduced to all of these concepts, right? Yeah. And I, it was so um, freeing and yet also so complex because no matter, no matter how much fun you're having in America, you're always reminded that you're a black person. Something yeah. will happen that will remind you you're a black person. So I think my, at the end of my freshman year, which is my first year of college, um, Trayvon Martin happened. Yeah. And it was this big moment of like, what is going to happen, right? Like, how do people feel about black people? And we all know how that case went. Yeah. And I came back a very different person the next year. You know, I was just so angry. I was like, dude, why are we still living in a racist world? Yeah. And I saw young people mobilizing. Like I had friends who are so passionate about politics and their blackness and seeing them like be motivated to be actionable, to protest, to unionize. I was like, whoa, this is a whole new world, right? A whole new way of being black in which it was empowering to be around these people who were willing to, to stand up and be like, yeah, we don't like racism. And so much of college shaped how I, I viewed myself as a black person and like starting to have, um, like actually starting to understand what oppression is as a theory and like something that can, you could look at critically and think about and have like actual critical solutions, you know? Yeah. Because there's just such a time for realizing all those things and getting me uh, getting me on a path of like just spending more time thinking about how do I vote policies I feel like I'm getting into like a rabbit hole but <laughs> no you really aren't I, I feel like I relate because we had Feasmas 4 I'm not sure like how much or how little you know about it but that was also a big moment I, I'd call it a turning point for a lot of people because it gave you an opportunity to just reflect on which side of 
well history if i can put it that way mm-hmm. you want to be on and like what your politics are it gave you an actual practical because it's one thing to read about all of this but like once you have that moment that gives you an opportunity to reflect about mm-hmm. what you want your politics to be because of how that moment affects yourself and your own lived experiences i guess like you can't you can't escape it. You can't just like close your eyes and hope that yeah. moment passes you. Like you actually have to live through it and living through totally. it means that you have to make certain decisions. And like, it just like, yeah, you can't escape it. Like, even if you want to be the most apolitical person in the world, when a political moment is happening, you actually have to make choices. And even the lack of choices is a choice yeah. you know yeah so i mean as a person who's never been to america ever ever but also as a black person who relates very deeply with like issues of like racism and all of that i mean one of my biggest concerns is how do i not become a Breonna taylor you know i think that you were right to be fearful and to be aware that you are going to face some challenges due to being a black woman in a white country. And that is totally justified. There's one too many hashtags Mm. for you to not feel that way. However, um, again, just like with anywhere else in the world, right? I don't want to act as though like racism is equal everywhere, but you have found a way to survive in your environment. And I think that, the skills that you have will help you be resilient here. There's nothing anyone, I, I can't guarantee that either one of us won't end up dead. Like I, you know, like no one can guarantee for sure we're all safe as black people. Yeah. No. But what we can do is challenge those systems and help find ways to reform systems which is what you're coming here for. Aren't you coming to like study critical race theory? Definitely. That's definitely. definitely one of the many ways to be like, we need to learn about this. We need to talk about this. This needs to be a part of the conversation. And that's the only way that black and all other oppressed people are going to overcome is literally like being like, yeah, this is a talking point. We need to be talking about this. We need to change this, you know? And like, I just think that you're going to bring so much to the table and your experiences, your intersectionality, that you're going to be able to apply so much in the amount of time you're here. And whether you decide to stay or go back, you have a lot to be like excited for and proud of, you know, I think you'll soon realize that your fears are just that, they're fears, you know, to some extent. Again, racism still exists. Yeah. (laughs) But you'll realize like, oh, like I, I know how to survive. I'm going to figure out the best ways to continue to survive. And you'll just be a resilient black woman in America. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so excited for you. Like, I'm like, when you told me you were coming to America, I was like, oh my God, my dreams are coming true. <laughs> ah, can I tell you also, well, I'm not telling you, I'm telling who's listening to this. Udo's getting married. I'm a bridesmaid at a wedding in America. Like my life is just a movie right now. So. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with this Corona situation, but one way or the other, you're in my wedding. <laughs> yeah. 